Please join me in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1. This is a wonderful message from the Lord's Word in Genesis 1 about an incredible blessing that God has given. It's found at what would be the apex of creation. The story building and building and building to this crescendo and this glorious moment in God's creation where He makes man and woman and bestows upon them His image in creation. And the blessing of bearing His image. And the glorious privilege of being made in His likeness. And we enter into this with a bit of fear and trembling because of its importance and the urgency in our age to me to be very clear about the meaning of the sanctity of human life. And so join me in Genesis 1, looking again at verse 26, this glorious moment on this sixth day where God speaks and says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. This morning what I want to communicate to you is an urgent and important observation from the Lord's Word about what it means for us to have the privilege and the blessing of bearing His image. Now, I need a favor from you. Along the way today, I'm going to say or do a few intentionally provocative things. They're not blasphemous, I don't think, anyway. They may be interpreted as such. But I'm asking you to stay with me to the end. Because there's a purpose behind what I do today. And I hope that as a result of what I do, you can step back, maybe have some clarity about the importance of the issue of being made in God's image and how important human life is in God's economy. And so we're going to begin simply launching in to the study, number one, In bearing His image, we are obligated to bear responsibility. When God makes us in His image, there is with it a blessing of stewardship and responsibility that is unique to the human race, unique to the human being, unique to the human individual, and unique to human corporate life. And that responsibility is unavoidable, it's inescapable, and it means ultimately that you and I are accountable to God for this blessing and this obligation of responsibility. And so I want to look at that in three ways. First, I want us to see our responsibility as students. Now, A lot of times we don't think of ourselves as students. But human life is being a student. 
when you see the creative order, you see God building this glorious creation with all of its intricacies and all of its glories and all of its beauties, all of its wonders, and then planting, setting, placing these two human beings and all who will come after them in this place. And the chief thing that God is going to do with that creation toward those creatures is He is going to reveal Himself. God, through all of creation, is making you a student of who He is And what he's like. So that every day as you observe the created order, you are a student in God's classroom. And you are observing and seeing and beholding and studying what God is like. And we'll go there in a few minutes, but in the book of Romans it says that through the creation... God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature are clearly seen. So your job as a student is to observe, to look, to behold, to see and savor all that God is to us through the created order. In fact, I've got a quote here from a book that I highly recommend. The book is called God's Passion for His Glory. And basically, it's a reworking of Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian's book called The End for Which God Created the World. And here's a quote from that book I think is helpful. The task of Christian scholarship is to study reality as a manifestation of God's glory, to speak about it with accuracy, and to savor the beauty of God in it. I think Edwards would regard it as a massive abdication of scholarship that so many Christians do academic work with so little reference to God. If all the universe and everything in it exists by the design of an infinite personal God to make His manifold glory known and loved, notice that. Go back over that. If all of the universe and everything in it exists by the design of an infinite personal God to make His manifold glory known and loved, what Edwards did is he came to understand that all of creation was for you to behold as much of God as is humanly possible. And that creation would be your classroom. God would be your teacher You would be the student. And every day He would manifest Himself to you. When He set Adam and Eve in that garden, He had surrounded them with His glorious revelation of Himself from the stars and the sky and the seas and the land and the critters and each other. And they would look and they would behold and they would be awed and they would be students. And they would be learning about God. And so here, I think John Piper has put it very well, to treat any subject without reference to God and His glory is not scholarship, but insurrection. Science is about God. Biology is about God. Medicine is about God. History is about God. Anthropology is about God. Everything is about God. 
It's about Him revealing Himself to us. And so as God places these image bearers in there, He gave them a different quality than any of the other created order had. He gave them observational qualities that would allow them to relate directly to Him, to know Him, to love Him, to observe Him, to behold Him. And therefore, we are first and foremost on this earth students of God. And every day, He is revealing Himself to us. And as His image bearers, we have the unique ability to observe that. Second, not just as students, but as stewards. He didn't just put them there that they may know Him and behold Him and understand Him and grow in that knowledge and understanding all the days of their life. He put them in charge of the place and said, here, you have some things to do. Notice that in Verse 26, to rule or to have dominion. Verse 27 and 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. They're stewards. I was sharing in Sunday school today, it's very sad that the church has allowed the political green movement to take over the idea of being stewards of God's creation. The church should be the greatest group of stewards of God's creation of anybody on the earth because we know Him who made it and who gave us charge over it. And therefore, you and I are stewards of the world, stewards of this globe and this creation. And we have responsibilities as stewards. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the coming weeks. Third, we have responsibility as seekers. Now, this is an interesting idea. If you will join me for a moment in the book of Acts. When the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 17, he spoke to them about creation. And he was informing the Gentiles about God and about the gospel, and he was setting up the presentation of the gospel. And so if you join me in Acts 17, I don't want to read the whole thing, but I want to read an excerpt of the Apostle Paul's sermon at Mars Hill. I think we can start. It's really hard to find a good starting place, but let's go to verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, So he's referring to creation. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since God himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one person every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they should Seek God. This is very important. One of the things that the Apostle Paul is saying is that part of the revelation of creation was to make us hunt for God Himself. That inside the creation were hints about Him, hints about His nature, hints about His power, hints about His glory. All of these things that should be drawing us in this Search to know Him. In fact, he uses some 
pretty plain terms there. He said that they should seek God, verse 27, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. The Apostle Paul, what he's saying here is that he designed us not just to be students and observe, not just to be stewards and in sort of charge, but also seekers to come after Him that we might know and love Him as He reveals and unfolds His nature through creation. So that you and I, by the glories that we see, ought to seek the One who made them because He's far more glorious. It's interesting how this is kind of common in other areas of life. If you're really into art and you really love someone's artwork and you go to the museum and you see their artwork, and then you hear, today, that artist is actually going to be here that you really like, and so that now you're going to move from just seeing his artwork to actually getting to see the artist and meet them in person. Same thing happens with a sports star or a concert uh, sort of uh, very popular pop artist where we listen to their music and we realize, and then we get a chance to meet him in person. Oh, wow, I would really seek that. In all of those other areas, well, here's God through creation laying all these things out that you might look, seek, desire a relationship with one who is so wonderful that he made all these things. And so bearing his image makes us cognitive that you and I have a responsibility as students to learn as stewards to oversee and carry out, and as seekers, that we not seek the creation, but the Creator that is who is behind it. Second, number two, back to Genesis. In bearing His image, we are obligated to be responsive. Not only are we to be responsible, we are to be responsive, but in particular to two things. First, we are to be responsive to His image in us. There is a certain kind of responsibility that I know if I'm bearing the image. Sparky, hand me that uh, jersey real quick. Um, Some of you big fans, I'll pull this out and you're just going to all ooh and ah. If this is your team, go ahead. Now, y'all quit acting like y'all weren't screaming last night. If you're an LSU fan, show it. Now, that's what it was more like last night. I saw people tweeting. I got up this morning. I didn't, I didn't stay up and watch the game, but I, I went to bed, and I got up this morning, and everybody said it was like a heart attack. There we go. So, there's the LSU jersey. Now, is number 88 important? I don't even know who it is. I'm not a fan. I'm not an anti, but I'm just... Steve, you love this, don't you? Okay, now, when you see a person wearing an LSU jersey and acting like a complete idiot, what do you, if you're a fan of LSU, what do you feel like if you see them wearing a jersey acting like an idiot? You think, man, they're representing us. Don't act like that. Don't, don't do that. You see a guy wearing an LSU jersey and he's on the sidelines and he's doing something really ugly and the camera zooms in on him and you're going, oh, that makes us all look bad, doesn't it? They're thinking the whole national television's watching this guy with an LSU jersey act like a complete idiot. And what does it make everybody who loves LSU look like? Making them all look like idiots because you think, oh, he's representing us. Listen carefully. When a person when a person's wearing the jersey, they have to understand that they're making a statement about what they're tied to. Now, you were made in God's image, so how you act is reflecting on somebody. 
If you're acting like a complete idiot, you're bearing His image wrongly. You're misrepresenting this glorious privilege of image bearing. I was talking to Sunday school today, and I was saying, suppose you were asked uh, to go out and flip the coin at the beginning of the game in Death Valley Stadium, and you're a big LSU fan, you'd be pretty fired up about that, that to go and represent the whole team and to be there and to do the coin toss and in the middle of all of it just be a real glorious moment for an LSU fan. And so it'd, it'd kind of fire you up. It would, it would kind, of, uh, it kind of really encourage you to say, oh, yeah, man, I get to rep the team today, baby. Every day you're repping God. Because you bear His image. And we need to be responsive in how we conduct ourselves. Because God is letting you rep Him to humanity. You're bearing His image. Your stewardship, your being a student, your seeking Him are all tied to His name because He is the one whose image, even though it's marred, even though it's broken, that image of God still is in you, on you. You still bear it. And so, as much as it would be a great joy to go and rep the team at the center of the stadium and do the coin toss and say, oh yeah, this is really great. You are repping God every, every, every single day. And so there has to be a sense in which we are responsive to His image in us. There is a huge responsibility with this truth. There is a, a massive, massive thing. But there's something else. Be responsive to His image in others. Be responsive to His image in others. This is huge. Every person you ever meet is made in God's image. Every color, every ethnicity, every gender, they're made in His image. Male and female, black and white, Asian, indigenous, Indian. We list all of the different ethnicities or colors. Everyone made in His image. And, and there is a responsibility to recognize that in others. Now, some of you worshipers of LSU, I mean, I want you to imagine... What do you think now? Now, Steve's pumping his fist. Now, I want you all to listen, because this is really important. Some of you are offended by this. And some of you are cheering it. I want you to listen very carefully. At abortion clinics all over America, babies are being dismembered, disfigured, and distributed for money who were made in the image of God. And we'll get more worked up about this then we will that over a million of these are murdered every year. And they were made in the image of God. But listen to me. There is an enemy who just like Steve rejoiced when I stood on this jersey, 
rejoices every time those babies are chopped up. This idea of the value of life, and by the way, I don't feel this way about LSU, and Joe knew I was going to step on his jersey. But listen, we're murdering, we're maiming, we're chopping and dicing babies up. We're throwing them in waste baskets and selling them to the highest bidders. And they were made in the image of God. And if the church does not rise up and find her conscience on this issue, we will answer in eternity. I do not recommend any kind of violence, but I demand by the Word of God the same thing that Jesus would ask of us. No more silence. No violence, but no silence. We must recognize that those babies in the womb are those who bear the image of God. Listen, those people that you are disrespecting, those racial problems that you're having, those things you've done to your spouse, your child, or your parent, or your neighbor, or your friend, were all done to somebody who bears the image of God. And we will answer. We'll answer. This is imperative for the church to be awakened to the reality that the value of life is not on our preferences or our conveniences. The value of life and of every human being is rested in this reality. The image of God is present in every single human being. And you and I have a responsibility as bearers in how we represent God. But we have a responsibility in defending the weak, the helpless, the downtrodden, the abused, the harmed. We have a responsibility to protect them, not because of our preferences or our likes or ethnicities or even our nation, but because this is an issue of humanity. My brothers and sisters, we must rise above the silence of this generation in the horror of things like abortion, like abuse, we must rise up and speak very fluently and very powerfully about the image of God in humanity. This means how you treat people at school and at work. They're in the image of God. How you treat people in traffic and in the marketplace. They're made in the image of God. Every human being bears His image and we are responsible for how we respond to them and their situation. Number three, and finally, and I'll close with this, in bearing His image, we are obligated to bring a response. Now, this is an important aspect and it's, not hidden, but it's not as obvious. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22 and let's camp there for just a moment where Landon read just a few minutes ago in chapter 22, verse 15. There's something happening here that's really, really beautiful. Let's pick it up. Look in verse 16, excuse me, verse 18. But Jesus perceived their malice. So they've asked about the tax. And he said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Now, but he's going to get down to the hypocrisy, not about the money. (laughs) 
He said, why are you testing me? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius and he said, whose likeness and inscription is this? And he, they, he held up the coin. Well, whose likeness was on it? Who was stamped on the coin? Caesar. So it was clear. Whose image is this coin made in? It's made in Caesar's image. So he says, hey, render to Caesar what's Caesar's. But he didn't finish with that. He sunk deep into their heart with something significant. He said, and render to God what's God's. And he was talking about whose image. You see, the coin had Caesar's image, but only one thing has God's image. He was saying, yeah, go give your money to Caesar and then go give yourself to God. Because you are made in His image and therefore render to God what is God's. You bear His inscription and His likeness. You render yourself to God. Three things ought to be our response. Number one, a response of wonder. We sing this in our songs. We sing it in a lot of our songs about the wonder and the glory. And, and we, we kind of cap that off with, Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art! We sing that because of this wonder that is in us. Come with me to Romans chapter 1. We're just going to camp there for a second. But it tells us something about this wonder and what ought to be happening as image bearers who can see this glory of God. In Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. He's talking about humanity. Because God made it evident to them. How did He do that? For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. Every one of us has no excuse for not having wonder about God and His invisible attributes, His divine power and His nature. We have no excuse for not just sitting back and going, Wow! <laughs> This is great. We have no excuse. One of the things about being made in His image is He's given us the capacity to see His glory through His creation. And there is a response there, a response of wonder. We should be going, whoa! Well, how does that fit in with the text? Letter B, a response of worship. Look at what happens. In verse 21, he says, For even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, and they did not give thanks. This is the worship aspect of it. This is that place where, when we, made in His image, behold the glory of what He has made, set here in the midst of His creation, given this responsibility for oversight, we have this wonderful privilege and it should bring a response in us. And the first should be wonder. The psalmist displayed that wonder when he said, O oh God, what is man that Thou art mindful of him? In wonder, the psalmist 
said, oh, look at where you put us. Look at the privilege you gave us. Look at the place you set us. Oh, I'm filled with wonder. Psalm 19, the heavens display the glory of God. In wonder, the psalmist praised Him because he saw the wonder of creation. And then he worshipped. Here it says that when God reveals Himself through, there should be the wonder that gives Him glory and the worship that gives Him thanks. There should be this twofold glorious response to and we should bring this response to Him. We owe it. We're obligated in it. You were made in His image so that you could see. So that you could know. So that you could enjoy. So that you could see and savor and show your joy in God. And so there is this responsive wonder. Wow! There is this responsive worship. Oh, I give thanks and I praise and I direct it at you. And then there is the response finally of willingness. And this is what it gets down to. This is where he's going all the time. The key way that you and I give the proper respect to the one in whose image we are made is that we engage our will to his. apart from which everything else is hypocrisy. All religion, all prayer, is all pretense without the engagement of our will to His. And so what Jesus deals with in Matthew 22 in calling them hypocrites. He did this because there was something particular lacking in their relationship with God. Oh, they wanted to know the theological ins and outs. They wanted to know how you break down this text and how are we responsible to this. So the Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians, they all come to Jesus. They got all their theology lined out. They got to get down to some little bitty nuts and bolts of theology. So here they go. Should we pay the poll tax or not? Let's get our theology down to some real everyday things. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. You are straining at a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. You want to get this right? Go give yourself to God. You were made in His image. Go give yourself to Him. Now it's very possible that you're sitting here today and that you may find yourself in the same place those Pharisees were. You want some doctrinal details and how do we work this out and how does it do this when all of it is nothing but a pretense because at the bottom of your heart there is one problem. And that's called God's will. And you say to Him, no. No. For some of you, it's for salvation. You have never come to Christ. And you have fought against it. And the only way that it can ever be made right is for Christ to do this one thing for you. To begin the right restoration of God's image in you. An image of holiness, righteousness. And Christ brings that to us with the new birth. 
And it's possible that right now is the time you need to be made right with God through a salvation relationship with Him. Where you repent of your sin and you place your faith in the One who is the perfect image of God, Christ. And by that faith in Him, He gives you new life, new heart, new birth. And that He, through this, begins the process of restoring you to the right image of God. Others of you, you're a seasoned saint. But lately, something, something has gotten in the way. Could be a thing, could be a person, could be an event, could be a loss, could be a gain. And you have said to God, I know your will, but no. And so then everything begins to be pretense. The Bible verses you quote, the prayers you pray, the religious behavior, the church attends, just begins to be pretense because down at the bottom of your heart, you're at this place. Yeah, oh, wonder, glory, woo, worship. Yeah, I'm here in church. But this is where I draw the line. I'm not willing to do your will, O oh God. And everything else becomes pretense. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me. And I'm going to ask you to be challenged to ask this question. Is there a place right now in your heart where you are saying no to God? Maybe it's for salvation and you need to repent and follow Jesus by faith. Maybe it is for sanctification and God is breaking you of something or someone or somewhere that has gone wrong in your life and you need to deal with that. Listen carefully. You're bearing His image. You're repping His name. You're carrying His reputation as His image bearer. You are especially carrying it as a new creation in Christ. And there is a need to know that your testimony is influencing others. I want to invite you today to a time of repentance, a time of salvation, a time of forgiveness where you say, Lord, I was made in Your image. I have not protected those made in Your image. I have not promoted You by living out Your image in me. And so I ask, God, help me. Would You do that today? As God stirs your heart, would You come? Would You stand? Would You come?
Yeah. 
exciting to share with you the news that Josh and Christy Smith, guys come forward, and their son Brady are coming to join. Actually, the four of them are coming to join with us. They lived in this area previously, went off to school and married and are back now, and they're joining in with Kingsville, so we're celebrating with them. They'll be in the back with Pastor Bard, and so feel free to go by and... Uh, Welcome them and shake their hands and, and speak with them, get to know them a little better. Um, tonight, our discipleship classes that uh, Pastor Bart shared are beginning. Uh, all the children's activities and choirs and RAs, GAs, all of that stuff that happens on Sunday night starting back. The, uh, the youth are actually also having um, classes tonight, Bible study classes. There will be a separate class for the guys, separate class for the girls. We're going to go through two different studies. Usually we're doing the same, just splitting up. Now we're actually going to do two different studies uh, for tonight. So if you uh, got youth involved, please um, help them to be here tonight. So let's pray together, and then uh, let's be dismissed. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Father, you reveal yourself through your word. Father, you reveal yourself through the person of Christ. Father, you also place your image um, on human life. Father, you reveal yourself in that way. So, Father, I thank you for the, for the um, beautiful and godly relationships that you give us. Father, I thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to me through the church, uh, through men and women, boys and girls who love you. Father, who give you honor and give you glory. Father, I pray that that's what we would continue to do as a church. Pray that we would continue to give you honor and glory um, for your goodness, Father. You deserve it. Father, I pray that we would worship you and love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's all